Am I like the only American who doesn't wake up being like, God, do I do I want to watch a movie that's just Matt Damon at the center of it? I never think that. In the trailers for Mother, it's the new fucking Alexander Payne joint where it's Matt Damon in the center of it, where they're like, honey, I shrunk the kids, but for reals is the <laughs> yeah. plot. Do you understand the words I'm saying? Who or? is Alexander Payne? The guy who directed Sideways, Nebraska, the Hawaii movie that everyone liked and I hated. I don't understand how Honey, I Shrunk the Kids could be any more for real. Okay. That's all you need to say. <laughs> Dave Johnson. Hey, everybody. And Carol. This is every movie. The kind of guy who'd go get small. Downsizing takes the pressure right off. Plus, you're really making a difference. You mean all that crap about saving the planet? Yeah. (laughs) Downsizing is about saving yourself. We live like kings. Got the best houses, best restaurants. Cheesecake Factory. Got three of them. In Leisureland, your $52,000 translates to $12.5 million to live on for life. Wow. Do you understand that you will undergo the permanent and irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing and that your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume? I'll see you on the other side. They use this in every trailer. (laughs) They're like, instant meaning, please. You will ask yourself. What will convey the illusion of a well-thought-out movie? David Byrne signed off. Do they have to shave themselves because the hair wouldn't shrink? You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful house. You guys, it's a metaphor. The more you want, the smaller you become. Uh. You may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? And then Hong Chow's here, too. Looks like a great part for Hong Chow. The small world is filled with things to see. That's true. Same as it ever was. Sometimes you think we're in the normal world. And then something happens. Oh my god. Can you imagine? You realize we're not. It's just a premise. That's not even a trailer. Everyone loves this director. Everyone thinks he's on the money all the time. I hate it sideways. I don't like Sideways or The Descendants. I like Nebraska, Nebraska. but I always fear that I invented all the meaning. No, but Nebraska's good because it has Bruce Dern in it, not because it's some brilliant screenplay. There's a lot of empty space in Nebraska. Yeah, there's not much plot that it relies on, whereas you're supposed to care about the things that happen in Sideways in a way that's absurd, even more so in The Descendants, I think. I object to the irresponsible physics of the pouring vodka at the end. It should be much more viscous. It seems like a movie like that will be full of irresponsible physics, I believe. They like broke out the the like sort of movie toolkit where they're just like, uh, we always have Sudeikis and we always mm-hmm. have Wig there and everything. Uh, Damon sells, you sell. We're going to fucking throw the, the one song in the trailer. There's like a premise Stick that we'll investigate book. for 40 minutes. We're going to have a brief fake crisis and then it'll be like a, you know, a faux contemplative ending. Yeah. Same as it ever the was. The Chinese actress is a giveaway. To what? It's being so overly broadened to appeal to both American and yeah, Chinese audiences. It's a Chinese movie. I really think it, she's going to say something like, um, 
you can change the ratio all you want of the stuff out there, make it seem like more because you get little, but you can never get little enough that you... (laughs) The the tale of whether the movie is interesting or not is whether in the small world there exists the shrinking facility and they can keep on going down. It's recursive in other words, yeah. If if they don't get to that, I'm I'm not I'm not right. I'm so That's, uninterested I won't even steal the movie. Probably just sniffed out that I would imagine the act three. Would you would you be okay with it turns out that the first world was a shrunken world? <laughs> in other words, no, maybe they no. can't go any farther down, but they started one level in. Would that work? No. Okay. I, I also object to the premise that your money is worth more in the small Yeah, world. why would that be true? Yeah, surely it takes much more effort to make a tiny mansion than a big one. Well, maybe small people just build it, dude, and it's, it's the same. Yeah. But then the money doesn't right. matter. Well, why would the money change? Because there's less of them? Yeah. But that doesn't make sense. This would be a great, it would be a great <laughs> movie. The only thing there's less of is the need for food. If halfway through the movie, they were like he went to go and look for someone who had you know, downsized or whatever, like a little bit earlier. And that person is like nowhere. And it's like, as he starts going down the rabbit hole, it's like, no, no, no. They give you like three months, then they squish you and take the next people's (laughs) money. Of course your money doesn't translate. They stole 52 grand from you, shrunk you and squished you. So you couldn't do shit. And even if you escaped, if you're going to tell me the story, yeah. yeah, Show me the original fucking move. Show me what went wrong. Do you have a little army? Let's fucking talk it out. You're talking. You want to play that talking head song so we can all reconcile (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with both of you Okay Statisticians report that Television is watched over six hours a day In the average American household Actually, I have never seen an average American household, except on TV. American human beings are a slippery and protean bunch in real life. Hard as hell to get any kind of universal handle on. But television comes equipped with just such a handle. It's an incredible gauge of the generic. If we want to know what American normality is, i.e., what Americans want to regard as normal. We can trust television. Television looks to be an absolute godsend for a human subspecies that loves to watch people but hates to be watched itself. For the television screen affords access only one way. We can see them. They can't see us. We can relax unobserved as we ogle. I happen to believe this is why television also appeals so much to lonely people. Every lonely human I know watches way more than the average U.S. six hours a day. But lonely people at home, alone, still crave sights and scenes, company, hence television. Listen to me! Television is not the truth. Television is a goddamn amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. And a lot of the criticism has to do with the charge that television has turned us into a nation of sweaty, slack-jawed voyeurs. But you people, we're all you know. 
You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. But TV watching is different from genuine peeping Tomism. Because the people we're watching through TV's framed glass screen are not really ignorant of the fact that somebody is watching them. In fact, a whole lot of somebodies. So turn off your television sets, turn them off now. In fact, the people on television know that it is in virtue of this truly huge crowd of ogling somebodies that they are on the screen engaging in broad, non-mundane gestures at all. Turn them off right now. Television does not afford true espial because television is performance. Turn them off and leave them off. Spectacle which by definition requires watchers. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. We're not voyeurs here at all. We're just viewers. We are the audience. Turn them off! Megametrically many, though most often we watch alone. E. Unibus Plural. shared a lot in the 24 years we've been meeting here each evening out there this and was before a totally I say good night this night for me but I, I need to say thank you of it spending thank you to the thousands of wonderful professionals of CBS News past and present whom it's been my honor to work over these years. It's been an extraordinary privilege to sit in this chair and a real honor to work with so many talented people and to all of you This is my last broadcast for coming along with me on this incredible journey. This is CBS Evening News for tonight. With your bearing and a deeply felt thanks to all of you who have led us into your homes night after night. James Madison once wrote that freedom of the press is the right that guarantees all the others. The stakes are that high, and you are the best we have. This is the uh, the single most requested thing that has come to my attention by all available means of communication. Uh, that we take time and discuss George W.S. Tro, uh, American essayist and media theorist. So we all have in front of us this slender volume called Within the Context of No Context, written in 1980? 1980. Yeah, so it, this is one of those few times the New Yorker like seems to devote itself to you know a single story. This is the first time it had ever been done for a work of nonfiction. For two issues in the New Yorker, they... Uh, took their entire editorial space and devoted it just to this essay called Within the Context of No Context. I think one of the amazing things about the idea of The New Yorker devoting like an issue to it is that I think most people looking at it are going to be like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, it, it's in an interesting format. I don't know if that means it's difficult, but maybe that would put some people off to it. It's kind of like got all these like headings along the way for little sections, sometimes yeah. very little sections. Yeah, and sometimes the titles repeat, and sometimes within those little sections, there are repetitions. It's sort of 
has a feeling like poetry in the sense of um, a lot is left for you to interpret, it feels like to me. You know, you you feel you might be deriving a meaning, but you're not sure that's his meaning. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah, and he has a kind of like tenor about it that he really seems to know what he's talking about. And it's like he's very confident in these sweeping assertions that sometimes really are not obvious. Or Yeah, I mean, it, it does something that nonfiction writing very, very scrupulously avoids, which is uh, the the terms that he describes specific things may end up being like metaphors, which is something you associate with like poetry or fiction or whatever. And to see that deployed in the service of trying to identify and sharpen your understanding of a real world pressing problem is really, really weird and off-putting. Yeah. And uh, frightening. In terms of his life, is it important to sort of say that this is a guy who comes from like a sort of upper middle class yeah. uh, East Coast media family. He goes to Phillips Exeter and is a star, and then Harvard is a star. He's the editor of the, which we call the Harvard Lampoon. Yeah. He basically starts working at the New Yorker. He's writing Talk of the Town, like anonymously. He has kind of a, he has a career from about 1970 to 1994. Yeah, yeah when Tina Brown fires him. Roseanne Barr was brought in to be a special editor for the New Yorker. For a woman's issue. For a woman's issue. And he resigned in protest. Yeah. Is it fair to say that he, but he like wanders the earth or something after after that? Yeah. So he, he, uh, after the uh, Roseanne Barr fiasco, he basically loses all hope of ever being an important or consequential voice in America. And uh, he, travels the globe kind of looking for some kind of solace and such as he finds it he finds it in italy which is where he fucking dies uh in the arms of like a very young mister i guess uh and he definitely was institutionalized oh yeah yeah for for mental health alcoholism and mental health problems uh before he wrote this uh no after it has a kind of uh, sermon, end of the world criticism yeah. to it. Yeah, I mean, like like half the charm and kind of terror of this book is that it does seem to cross some kind of midpoint between insanity and genius. Within the context of no context, George W.S. Tro. So this is the first sentence of the book. Yeah. Wonder was the grace of the country. Any action could be justified by that. The wonder it was rooted in. Period followed period. And finally, the wonder was that things could be built so big. Bridges, skyscrapers, fortunes, all having a life first in the marketplace. Still drew on the force of wonder. But But then, then, a moment's moment's quiet. quiet. What was it now? What was it now that was built so big? Only the marketplace itself. Could there be wonder in that? The size of the Khan? History. Groups of more than one were now united not by a common history, but by common characteristics. History became the history of demographics, the history of no history. History. History has been the record of growth, conflict, and destruction. The new history. The new history was the record of the expression of demographically significant preferences. The lunge of demography here as opposed to there. The decline of adulthood. In the new history, nothing was judged, only counted. The power of judging was then subtracted from what it was necessary for a man to learn to do. In the new history, the preferences of a child carried as much weight as the preferences of an adult. 
So the refining of preferences was subtracted from what it was necessary for a man to learn to do. The world of power changed. What was powerful grew more powerful in ways that could be easily measured, grew less powerful in every way that could not be measured. The most powerful men were those who most effectively used the power of adult competence to enforce childish agreements. Television. Television is the force of no history, and it holds the archives of the history of no history. Television is a mystery. Certain of its properties are known, though. It has a scale. The scale does not vary. The trivial is raised up to the place where this scale has its home. The powerful is lowered there. Television. Television has a scale. It has other properties. But what television has to a dominant degree is a certain scale and the power to enforce it. No one has been able to describe the scale as it is experienced. We know some of its properties, though. The power behind it resembles the power of no action, the powerful passive. It is bewitching. It interferes with growth, conflict, and destruction. And these forces are different in its presence. Entertainment is an unsatisfactory word for what it encloses or projects or makes possible. No good has come of it. Throughout the book, he has an image of two opposed grids. Yeah. And he uses that word grid a lot. And one is the grid of what he says, 200 million. But by that, he means, I suppose, the current population of the United States yeah. in 1980. And on the other hand, there's like the more personal, intimate grid. Of one. Of one, which is with just you. Here, this is in a section on page uh, 48 called Celebrities, the first of three sections on page 48 called Celebrities. <laughs> Celebrities have an intimate life and a life in the grid of 200 million. For them... There is no distance between the two grids in American life. Of all Americans, only they are complete. So the implication is, and I think he's explicit previously, that for the rest of us non-celebrities, there's distance between the two grids, the grid of one and the grid of the 200 million, and that that's a problem? Yeah. Why? To me, he's saying that life in America has been schizophrenicized into two separate domains, one of which we're trapped in, the grid of one, and the other, the grid of 200 million, we're told that we're in. And Americans literally go insane because they have to live in two separate domains at once. And this is why celebrities are the only people who seem normal, perfect, complete, and therefore the thing everyone wants to be. Yeah. That is kind of a reversal, right? Like you could say celebrities are pretty unique in the pastiche of America that they have to live all their lives in the public or something like that, which is maybe not exactly what he means by in the grid of 200 million. But yeah, I mean, he, he wants to that say only they are complete. The he, rest of us are incomplete. It's well, kind of a reversal. And right? he goes even further and says that really the best celebrities are products. Yeah. The, a Coke is really much more right. complete. That's an example of a celebrity. Yeah. Coca-Cola. I think what he's trying to suggest is that there's something has happened to our perspective that means our sort of self-understanding, the stories we're telling ourselves, the mode we use uh, is sort of the realm 
dominated by a can of Coke and not by people with, with yeah. lives they're like connected with to try to think about how that would be. I think you have to sort of reinvent television. Yeah. It's not a journey. Every journey ends, but we go on. Wait, what's not a journey? The world turns and we turn with it. Plans disappear. Dreams take over. But wherever I go, there you are. <laughs> my luck, my fate, my fortune. Chanel number five. What? <laughs> Inevitable. Inevitable. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, that, yeah, the that, ending where he says inevitable, I can just think of no ad that seems less inevitable in the history. And that is just, there's, it's not a Brad Pitt voiceover. It is a, a mid shot of Brad Pitt zooming ever in on him yeah. for the whole time, except so for the final image where we are in space. And my fortune. And a bottle appears. So it's it's a flaming medium shot of Brad Pitt with long hair and a goatee. In black and white. In, in black and white. white. In some kind of yeah. representational space where there's like a partially spackled yeah. wall behind him. And there's Weirdly like someone's passing like gels or boards over the overhead light. So he's cast in the shadow at strange points in his monologue. <laughs> and his monologue is nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, this is a... Uh, emblematic of the problem that all ads have, but maybe fragrances have most of all. Yes. <laughs> that you really, you're really- you're, you're attempting to bridge the domain of right. sensation. There's a category mistake in the very task of making an ad. So like as if they someone said, how do we get them to buy the thing with an ad? And then they said, you can't. Right. And then they said, but let's still make an That's ad. Right. And they're like, but what would it even have in it then? I don't know. It should be something glamorous, but it should also be unexpected. So instead of being conventionally glamorous, let's make Brad Pitt look like a local carpenter yeah, right, like a trying painter, maybe? poetry out. It's like inside his sort of lonely, he's like driving his Volvo home and he imagines yeah. a poem I mean, he, he looks less like a carpenter and part-time poet than a full-time poet, part-time carpenter. I don't even remember, maybe this is part of the ad, working on me. I don't really remember what the poem's about. I guess life or whatever. Yeah, this is, Brad really totals himself here. Mm -hmm. It's not a journey. It. Every journey ends, but we go on. That's why it's okay. The world turns and we turn with it. I've never heard anyone mic this closely. Plans disappear. Dreams take over. It's like he's talking from inside a Quaker Oats tube. <laughs> Plans disappear and dreams take over because we like all. Where are my plans? The world. Where are my plans? Yeah, the, the best laid plans of mice and men are evaporated and all dreams that take all over. All that is left is dreams. The world. Yeah. The world turns. And we you don't turn with the we, world. We. That's we well, true. I mean, I mean it's trivially true. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't rotate about our own axes or whatever, right. but we that's, certainly orbit. No, that's why it's yeah, not well, a journey. Really, the world does the orbiting. No, yeah, and we're the on world. the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he's making any point at all, we don't have our own turning. It journeys end. It's not a journey. It's a, it's an <laughs> everlasting turning. Um, and, and yearning. What is? This, I guess life? The perfume? Wait, no. Um, Us? He, the spark? It. It? But wherever I go, there you are. Uh, it is there. My luck. My fate. My luck. These are my fortune. positives for the my phrase. Luck. It. Is my he fate. talking to his luck, his fate, yeah. his fortune? Uh, what do you call it? Apostrophe? 
I'm talking to my <laughs> luck, my fate, my fortune. Yep. Wherever I go, there, there you, you three are. are. <laughs> you three witches. <laughs> <laughs> then we're in space. Then we are literally in space. We're near, in space. Like, like near as, space. As though, to, as though to prove the point of the turning the of the world. Turns. What a, does anything else, is there any other information we need? Chanel. Chanel number five. Is that like, uh, what do we have, like some kind of... Light arc uh, above the earth. Chanel number no, five. It's, a, it's a lens flare. It's a kind of perfume eclipse. Inevitable. In <laughs> Inevitable. Inevitable. Which a point he is not sold well. Yeah. Wherever I go, there you are. Inevitable. I mean, I don't know if this is a trap, but is he saying you'll smell inevitable? <laughs> like, is that the, even what? the idea? You'll smell inevitably. <laughs> Journeys end. I don't end. Do you end? We shouldn't end. Let's stay. <laughs> The world turns, time passes, but time doesn't pass for us. That's why this isn't a journey. Wherever I go, my fortune is also there, <laughs> says Brad Pitt to you on the TV. Jennifer Anderson's like, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever I go, oh, you know, you stay here. <laughs> to me, that's not just like television. What he's, he's, he's sort of, there's something about the self-understanding that's limited to start, right? Right, and that, and you know, you can make that, critique of like a monolithic marketplace sort of subsuming wonder or subsuming the mystery that perhaps had dominated the like American spirit prior to I don't know a certain kind of like modern fruition of expansion in the middle of the 20th century but that's really not his main point his main point is like something else about television and, and, and media he spends uh, whole sections going through like what's going on with certain magazines at a really shocking moment in the book to me he suddenly is interviewing the like head of people magazine he hadn't yeah. interviewed anyone before that there weren't even really quotation marks before that so he has this media centric point not just market centric right no no yeah it's it's all it's almost none of it is about the market in a certain way although to understand what's happening with these media things. There is a real deep connection to sort of market. Yeah. But, and a lack of other values. It seems like something happens with television that it allows basically in this battle in all of us that has to do with like judgments versus preferences. Like there are all these different sort of tendencies or ways you can try to understand yourself. The thing about demographics versus history, he sort of sees these models and television does something to alter the way we think about things. What we take seriously, a sort of context, I guess is what you'd say. Like the way, what a president is when a president becomes someone on television versus someone whose actions are sort of defined by non-televised history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something changes, right? Like television at first exists to like shine a camera on events that are historical and important in and right. of themselves, even if there is no camera. And that eventually becomes like events only happening for television cameras. And, and is what he's talking about how that happens? Is he, is this, that what this book is? Like some account for like how that comes to be or just what are the consequences once that comes to be? No, I, yeah, I think it's more about, it's almost like a conceptual phenomenology of the transformations that are taking place in that first generation of mass market television. The television has its own sort of rules and people, America starts interacting with it like six hours a day. It's about the interaction of man in television. Yeah, I think. There's a raising up of the trivial and a bringing down of the powerful, and that happens because of the force of no history, and also there's a kind of childishness in the result. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Okay. It's, I mean, How do we understand it? I mean, what, you can sort of look at this in a number of different ways in terms of why this would be the case and uh, sort of what the effects would be. Television is different. It's more sort of immersive. And so it naturally pulls you into itself. And I think that what it sort of television always reminds you of other television. I think that because the basic sort of mass market mechanics of it also require that whatever is on TV is supposed to be watched by lots of people. Right. If God had a half an hour television show, it would lower God, right? Necessarily. Somebody asked Hitchcock uh, if he if realism was important to him as like a movie maker. And he said, no, filmmaking and movies are more powerful than reality, right? And what I take him to have meant is that a toolbox exists in filmmaking with editing and cinematography and all that shit that works on the human mind at a more powerful and deeper level than any real scene you could ever witness, right? And that toolbox uh, and the authority it, it confers migrated to television and made television realer than reality for the people who watched it. And what that means as a corollary, is that the thing that was important for television, demography, advertising, uh, the lowering of the powerful and the raising of the trivial, became realer than American life. Because we started imitating it in our actions? Because we started to think that that's what reality was. I want to make an argument like the television has a bending effect. That Literally, because television thinks in terms of demographics that we start explaining elections by like how you slice it up right by attempting to work through how television works what's weird is you start to discover other tendencies that aren't necessarily connected to television but that you recognize in society in yourself television needs a sort of pseudo intimacy instant uh, comfort, a sort of false affection, and teaches us to use this language of pseudo-intimacy all the time. Everything that can be is sort of fake casual. Because it was easier to sell people coke if there was a false and coddling sense of intimacy projected through television. That doesn't contain in it the account for its success. Television? Yeah. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't contain in it the account for television as a kind of force. I mean, six hours a day will make anything successful. Yeah, so is it just the amount of time that yes. you spend on it? Okay. Uh, well, like when he says it's the force of no history, what does that mean exactly? Like, uh, there's no what was on yesterday when you're watching television. There's only what's on right now. Well, then I just want to ask, well, what exactly does that mean? Because it's not that we forget everything we watched on television previously. Television assumes that you do. Wait, 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 That's why on, it's so patronizing. It's not that there. It's not that television truly references nothing. It's that history seems to be something separate. Do you, do you, there's a section about New England. Yeah, New England is history. Step one, step two. Do this, do that. This happened, that happened. It all adds up to New England. It doesn't break down from something else. You don't like start at America and then break off New England as like a chunk of, you don't like do a poll to determine it. It's an area that has like a story and uh, in that way, it's not like just an area. But obviously, once that term exists, you can sort of remove it from its contact. You can start being like, you can sort of hijack it and be like, this is New England clam chowder. This is a right. New England inn yeah. or whatever. And the thing about television is television, because it needs to be sort of instantaneous, it needs to always be sort of borrowing context from whatever's around. It needs to be translatable to on this huge scale, not an individual reader or a historian or a kid learning from their father. It needs to sort of be um, instantly communicable in this mass way. 
it can't really communicate in that way. Right. Or, so, it, yeah. so it needs to come at us like right away being like, look at this cherry pie. Look at this porch. Yeah. This is so New England. And it creates, I suppose, as well as trades in those symbols. Like further on at the sort of upshot portion at the bottom of page 59, what is it? It's television. It's a program on television. A little span of time. How does it work? It's a little span of time made friendly by repetition which seems to be predicated on your sort of familiarity with it and your remembrance of it. In a way, it doesn't exist at all. Just what does then? Yeah, I mean, it, you know how shows work so that even right. if it's your first time seeing a show, you've already sort of learned this weird pseudo context or something. Right. And then once television, I suppose, knows that you know the rules, it can sort of go faster through the rules. Yeah. It, it needs to take less time to establish context until right. it takes no time at all. Right. Literally none. This section is called People. People. So many people. Everywhere you look. On the streets, in the stores, queuing up for a little treat. It's a glut of people. So many. But not everyone, of course. Sometimes it's everyone, though. Hey, America. That's one group. It's a group of people. Not a small group. Not by any means. It's not everyone, though. Not the oldsters and the welfare cheats. Well, sometimes it's the oldsters, too, and the welfare cheats, but not often. During the news, for instance, the old, it's oldsters, oldsters get special attention then. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Most of the time, though, when we say, hey, America, it's a smaller group that we have in mind. Even in looking at ads, you see, okay, who's this aimed at? Who are these people? To the extent that they're all hiding under that name America, we can make these cuts and so more media has to be cross, what do you call it, cross demographic or whatever than ever before maybe? There's also just one of the effects of television is the sense of like America being sort of instantaneously accessible. America being a thing you could communicate with in one moment as opposed to a journey like across the country or right, something. It's not a journey. I belong to whatever it is television is calling America. All of these different communities, all these different individuals, how different the regions are. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And when that becomes like a thing where somebody on New Year's Eve is like looking at the camera going, Hey America, well who do they mean? They only mean the people are watching, but they mean the people in all these different places and all these people heard them at once. What you literally mean by America is transformed in a way that is gonna obviously affect what the sentence like I don't like America anymore. Like it's different than what it would have meant earlier. Earlier, people would have been like, what part, where, and who, and why? You know, you paid too much oh, for those glasses. Fuck. Who? You. They charged you too much. Who? Everyone. Unless, of course, you shopped at America's Best. Who? America's this is an best. owl talking about Two by the pairs way. of glasses and a free eye exam are just $69.95. Ooh. Yep. That's America's best. Who? Please, just keep up. Two pairs and a free exam okay. for sixty nine ninety five. It's not just... Dude, this I is, don't even know where to To say. me, this is a very important head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. This is... You're right. It's if I owl, turn a TV on, this commercial comes on nine times right away. The sort of like informative voice is an owl perched atop a car that is probably the, the car of this other man who really Looks like John Hodgman. Says, he does sort of look like John Hodgman. But really, this man only says several variations of one syllable. Who? Right. Who? And at the end of that whole charade, the owl says something that's totally inscrutable to me. Please, keep up. Uh, because he, like, doesn't get the guy's joking? Who? No, he does get He the, doesn't get the owl's joking? The owl understands the, owl the guy is, not is trying joking. to do a bit. 
and the owl has heard every who right. bit an owl could hear. That's so. what the voice actor thinks. But the line, keep up, seems to be premised on the idea that he thinks the other guy has right. asked who again. There's a contradiction between the dialogue as written and as performed. That's the, uh, we have a fundamental difference of opinion. I think that the owl exists outside the narrative frame of the commercial and understands that there's a script before him, the owl, and that the interlocutor is failing to keep up with. The jokester. The joke. Yeah, I mean, that not, is exactly my but, point. But how, yeah, but how... <laughs> you in, just said my same In point. what <laughs> sense is he failing to keep up? He's continuing to make a bad joke. The owl is long past. So that he hasn't given up this jo jokey path. Yes. Yet. So keep up means get it the fuck together and stop making jokes. Is that right? Keep no, up. No, keep, keep up is you're really bad at improv. Be a better comedian. Yeah, but that's not a natural translation. Keep up is a Move weird on thing to say. Is, yeah, would yeah. be make more right. sense than keep get up. Over I mean, it. it's a sardonic keep up. It's not like literal. Of course, it's sardonic. Like if they wanted to really telegraph this, he would. They would. He would be like, "Stop with the jokes." Wait, I can. I. I want to step in and say, like, I agree. I, there, in all the variations of this commercial, there exists weirdly ambiguous pieces of dialogue <laughs> to like an absurd degree. So much. So that you got to think about the fact they're offering two pairs of eyeglasses. Maybe they always have to offer two visions, you know? <laughs> and also, those prices are ridiculous. Two pairs, $69. Too expensive Go or too cheap? fuck yourself. Way too cheap. Got it. That's way too cheap. Well, that's his point. To it's be fair. outlandish. Now, here's my question What causes this conversation to happen? I, I, I want to like lay down an arbitrary rule that discussion of the owl, why it's an owl, a blind alley. All right, we're never going to get to the bottom, metaphorical or uh, critical theory-wise, about why what? it's an owl, why, why the, the owl's wearing glasses, about? why an owl wearing glasses is selling glasses. Obviously, that's a main feature of this commercial for you to just disqualify it outright I'm for saying no reason it exists at all. as Nobody, a blind alley for on, people nobody, like you guys. Nobody's asked this, and fuck you. <laughs> nobody asked yeah. that. You clearly wondered, and so have brought and it just up. Have just, and just <laughs> have said, we won't yeah, go to that, that. Your little faux preamble doesn't hide the fact that you alone are drowning in your own curiosity about said owl. Wait, go back to the beginning again. Here's the beginning again. All right, you know, it's a you tracking shot. Too much for the cars glasses. not moving. Right, right. that's right. You? He's like grocery. They charged shopping. you too much. Who? Everyone, unless of course you shopped at America's Best. Who? America's Best, or two pairs of glasses and a free eye exam, or just sixty nine ninety five. Ooh. Yep, that's, that's America's Best. Who? Please just keep up. Two pairs and a. All right, so the this owl is there for him as a harbinger of something, sure, and a commentary at, at, at his like failures in it's the past. His regret. Everyone has fucked him over. It's his eyeglass regret. I mean, it's his it's his death. To be clear, giving him trying to give him new life, trying to say go over there. Yeah, that's what he death functions as glasses, in human life. Though. What the? He doesn't need two more glasses, Eric. <laughs> Don't people need glasses even if they have glasses? No, but they always need How cheaper many? glasses is the point. How many pairs? Like, like the, the whole commercial turns on the fact that the owl is clocking the glasses man as having overpaid for yeah, the glasses right. he's already wearing. Right. And why should the guy <laughs> trust the owl? Because the owl is fucking wearing glasses. It's important the owl is wearing glasses because that's how he's established as a glasses expert, I guess. The, the owl is probably visited by an owl once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. and, and he's teaching him where the place is. But one possible narrative could be that the owl does not seem to really be anticipated. Anticipating is that the guy says, No, I did go to America's best or whatever. 
Do you think the owl would just go be like, fuck you, next person? Yeah. I, that, I mean, I like think, the, the owl is wearing glasses to amplify the fact the owl has excellent vision and can tell who has pay, overpaid for their glasses. Okay. How could he you, tell? In, in a kind of soul x-ray You way. just assume uh, that he wouldn't bother someone who did go to America's The best. metaphor for the owl's ability to peer into the human soul and see whether they overpay for their glasses is the fact that the owl is wearing I don't glasses. Know, that seems the road we just shouldn't go down, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing glasses because of his imperfect vision. That's right. That's why one wears glasses, right? Yeah. To acquire perfect vision. Yeah, we're close there too. And one hopes not to be hosed in that materials acquisition also, process. Can we just speak? Let's get one. Uh, this is not the owl question. Let me get, let me just stipulate <laughs> another thing about facts on the it's ground. Important disclaimer: we uh, There's no such place as America's best. I've seen a lot of commercials, and there the owl. If that owl came and, and, and came to visit you, there'd be no place to look. You've never seen an America's best. There's no I, fucking it's place like really that. Really true. I have not. So that there are no bricks and mortar America's they best. They must exist. One thinks because you're seeing it. Why are there ads? Yeah, it must seen, be. They're not saying one. they're not offering a website either. They're this is like, a good. This is a good companion. You know, you pay too much for those glasses. That's all he wants to talk Ooh. about. Same owl. You, you pay too much. Practically everyone overcharges, except for America's best. Huh? America's best. They give everyone a deal. In fact, you can get two pairs of glasses and a free eye exam for just sixty nine ninety five. Fucking bitch. Two. 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 Who? Stop it. See, this makes more sense. His Two frustration pair. with the bad comedy is much more apparent there. Yes. Yeah. Also, in this commercial, a redheaded woman in the ad glimpses an ad. <laughs> That's right. Like we, He can't even offer up a store this time. He's like, see the ad on the bench? <laughs> Besides their bench ads, they've supplemented their campaign by hiring me. Daytime, non-flying, <laughs> sardonic owl voiced by Thomas Hayden Church or some shit. Again, the woman is wearing glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. If the, if, if the owl has any criteria for who he selects for his visitations, it's people it seems to at least be. Okay, it's, it's people know. who are going to die. All people are going to die. Lonely people, it seems. People in bespectacled, right? Yeah, and nerds. <laughs> glasses wearers, anyway. White nerds. So far, they've all been white. There is uh, an African-American man in one of them who's also a, a character in Westworld. <laughs> Does the owl know that everyone has overpaid for glasses? Assumably, if America's Best is an actual functioning thing in the world, I can tell it's going to start I, cranking right. out people wearing America's I Best I can glasses. tell you how the owl always knows you overpaid for your okay, glasses. How, how? You want to hear? Yeah. America's Best does not exist. Yeah. Yeah. Now in the world of the ad, it's fictitious. That's yep. very interesting. Yep. Also, perhaps in our world, <laughs> it's fictitious. It doesn't I mean, matter in our world. It's a very suspicious name for a glasses place, right? right? America's best. Don't they the have a- The best of America. We're the, we're the best at what? Doesn't fucking matter. Whatever you got, anyone with glasses, he's like, you fucking overpaid. You could have gotten two and an eye exam for 70 bucks. There's always a bench I mean, store. In, in a world where owls are <laughs> diurnal, where they yeah. wear fucking glasses, yeah. is it more likely that the- glasses place the owl is selling exists or does not exist. Right. That's, I wouldn't that's really know how to answer that. I mean, we're not all I'm saying is that's the question you got to answer if yeah. you want to understand the ad. It's very clearly also we're not <laughs> supposed to like the owl because the owl isn't even asking I these agree. people to do anything. It's not saying next time go to America's Best, really. He's just, he's just being like a cunt that knows Yeah, everything. that's right. And he never flies in like he has some other life. He's always standing at the beginning. I argue he can't even fly. No, can't fly. We don't ever see him fly, I don't think. No. He has to be carried by this lady to wherever he runs <laughs> into the next person. Put me down here. Oh, he just yell at whoever's next. Here's the guy I mean. 
this starts differently than the rest of them. Oh, hey, I heard you've been telling people where they should buy glasses. What? Yeah, folks said you've been telling them about America's best. When? Just all the time. You've been helping them save. How? By telling them about America's best, where two pairs of glasses and a free eye exam are just $69.95. Where? It's the American racist. Why are you doing this? Why? Why? <laughs> That's funny. Two pairs and a free exam for $69.95. Uh, that's very sophisticated uh, shit is going on. Okay, this ad is premised on you having seen the other I ad. I think so. But hold on. The joke is that the owl says every interrogative except who. Right. Yes. And then when he says why, he reports that that's funny. Why is that funny? We both said why. Is that what's funny? <laughs> Isn't what's funny that they've gone through every word except who? Do you understand my question? Or Nothing is funny is the answer. Yes. So why does he say that's funny? To Just, be funny. The rhythm requires him to talk. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Okay. I've been thinking about these commercials for something like two years, and I still don't really feel like we've gotten to the bottom of it. Okay. They, at, at, at this point, with these particular owl ads, I would argue that they become black holes because they are not well constructed. <laughs> and it becomes they, po it becomes possible to lose one's mind and right, rationality. Right, 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 right. I actually, that one reads totally racist to me. The other ones, the owls Why? being so helpful. This guy, uh, once it's a black man, he comes up, he's like, hey, I hear you're like talking to all these people. And the guy like might as well be like an old timey Klansman, this yeah. owl. He's like, What? Huh? Don't know anything Who about it. Who said you could huh? talk to me? Who's going to help? He's like, right there, that store over there. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah. The owl is going out of his way to yeah. be as unhelpful as possible to the yep. black man who's trying to find out That's information. Right. That's the hardcore truth about this particular ad. Yes. And I'd argue that the owl is never really particularly helpful at all. It's just, just a hell world. This is like a fucking, everything about it is miserable. No one's happy. Right. They're just like, oh, this guy is actually going to be like a nice interlocutor yeah, with yeah. the owl. Right. Put a backpack on so you're like a kid. The owl says fuck you the whole time. Also, this guy comes up to the owl by choice uniquely among the ads. Right? He yep. goes, oh, hey, I have, I have a thing to tell you. Yeah, because we've all been talking. We've heard about you. Uh, <laughs> you're the owl that alerts people to the store that's right there with a sign, I, despite the bench ads, despite the sign in the window. I think there's a chance that the owl is operating on a categorically different level than the rest of the people. Now, Nick might say, this is the point. This is me going insane or whatever about um, the ads. And yet, I can't. There are too many of them. There are too many variants of this ad where the owl says something that doesn't quite line up with exactly what you think he'd say. For it to, for it to for it to be accidental that, it, that he doesn't line up with exactly what I think he says, as opposed to just haphazard. Yeah, as opposed to someone just really needing to finish a commercial, so he has to say something in the rhythm, and that's the only thing we're thinking about. They all involve some kind of confusion. I think I think someday to we'll, your mind deliberate. Well, I I, I beseech you to come or, up with or, another or explanation. Log ultimately logical confusion. This is an owl appearing during the day, and we may never see the ad, but there is sort of an ad out there where night comes and everyone like claws out their eyes and fucking dies. That that's the free eye exam. No amount of pairs of yeah, inexpensive yeah. glasses will ever fucking help your eyeless corpse. And night is never pictured here, but the owl is a fucking messenger from right. the night of blindness, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And he spends all of his fucking time at night. In flight, finally. In he's flight, finally, because he's flying death. away yep. from horror. 
It's a shame, really, is what this is. It, yeah. It's all, a shame. We're all missing it's the America's point. worst. It's a shame that having seen how bad this the world America's can be, worst. that this owl isn't fucking nicer to the black guy who just wants to talk to him. That's what I think. Yeah. I think race might be a social construct that the owl society of this lone, eyeglass-obsessed owl may not have constructed, although he does seem to participate in he, our construction you insofar he, he as he's racist inherited it. against uh, the black people. Yeah. It's too cheap. There are no places you can get glasses like that. Is he always in the same pair of glasses, the owl? Definitely. You guys are not. No, I'm You're not on the full firepower with these ads. You're you're wrong. You're lost in your own optimistic nonsense. Here's another person who comes up to the owl herself. You were so right about that sale at America's Best. I think it's different owl, too. Two pairs. His his feet are much yellower in the early No, that's true. He changes to match the person he speaks with. And They've Bergara. lost it's themselves. A great deal. <laughs> they Two don't even know what they're doing. She's the new star. Yeah, this is Al's on the way This is the handout. This is the Al's own death being confronted. So cute! Wow. You realize owls have sensitive hearing. Oh, I'm so sorry. Invented simplicity again with precision engineering. One touchscreen, one knob, three cooking levels, a new mixing bowl, and Veroma. What? A new and Veroma. System. And now Veroma is yeah. involved. A new measuring cup. <laughs> Less noise, more power, and high technology. Powerful motor. One selector knob to control time, temperature, what? and speed. And recipe chips with guided cooking. Hello, recipe chips. Is it all going to blow up? The future of cooking is now at your fingertips. The ultimate innovation wow. is Thermomix's the guided cooking that will guide you step by step through any recipe. Is this a concept? All necessary Dad? settings no. are preset by your Thermomix file. Just scroll and choose Risotto. your recipe on the screen, prepare the ingredients, Ooh, and press the ingredients? next. Your Thermomix will do the rest for you. Cooking has never Whoa. been so easy. It's in her eye? That thing looks yeah, yeah, like the future of cooking. Right here at your fingertips. What it? It's. Okay. With the new Thermomix. I want you to imagine a blender, a rice cooker, right. and a kind of shitty food processor crammed together into one right. object. It looks like a levels. toilet seat birthing a coffee maker. It's exactly what it looks like. It'll tell you what to put in the thing, the hole it contains. Yeah, if you it have will, a recipe chip. If you have recipe chips, it will uh, chop whatever you put into it and then heat it up with really? a, an included electrical element. Is that really true? So That's you just really cook true. It in the blender. In the, the blender. They don't. They don't go over that really they at do all. Not. It literally, you're looking at it. There's no way to understand what it is, and it, it just says ten percent more capacity. Yeah. 
There's no sense of scale in this early part, and no, it's all it's this in, is like it's a in cartoon space. Yeah, it is yes. right until it leaps out of a Look woman's at her, pupil. What is her yep. apartment, or what, what kind of dismal <laughs> place is that? This is an ad that made me feel like very much like this was not trying to sell it to me. It was just more like fuck you. Yeah, speed, heat, and time. Yeah, you can control time. That's yeah. one knob. <laughs> Left means faster, colder, and longer. Towards the end of the ad, after they've introduced Veroma and like the it's recipe the, chip or whatever, crucial moment. All of these foods uh, emerge from outside. The well, Thermomix is, you know, giant eye hole. Pizza, risotto, uh, a cake, a wait, salmon, this, what we, crepes. This is what you might call like a top-down view of the thing. Yes, you're looking at it from God's perspective. Which is r- shaped roughly like a human eye. Correct. And then the joke is that we're all inside of a human eye. We zoom out. Yes, they, yeah. there is an identical thing happening between the, the God's eye view of the appliance and, and you. the person's eye view of the woman's pupil. And all of the foods, not up to and including pizza and bread and crepes, pizza. exist inside of her eye. Could we emphasize the apparatus and technology and completely forget about ingredients so then mostly your choice will not involve any food stuff but yeah. like touch screen and whirling Veromas and, <laughs> and Robocops the idea that this thing is going to chunk out risotto is so wrong right how could that be and they don't show you putting anything in or, or it really dispensing anything, anything out yeah. right. they could then show you what a traditional like set of food items look like in a normal plated context. And showing it in operation is too much like the act of eating. I'm so confused as to how this works at all. The screen will tell you step by step what to put inside of it. Okay, so it'll be like add rice now. Add rice now, add water now, add yeah, parmesan yeah, yeah. now, right? Really? Yes. And then it'll say cover me up, I'll heat it up and Give cook it for 40 you. minutes yeah. or whatever. Really? Yes. And now do now that Now with- bring a plate over. <laughs> <laughs> do that with a pizza. How right. the fuck is this thing going to be? Put flour in me. Yeah. Now put water in me. Now I go away. Pizza. I've made pizza. And what's It'll in be there? a shitty shaped pizza, right? <laughs> uh, unfold me. Toss me over your head. It's going to have to say at some point, like, now hire a contractor to toss the dough in <laughs> How do you clean me? No one knows. Can I, as an ancillary task, can I click on this video where maybe we'll see it in action? Yeah. Okay. Now, you can make this recipe using the guided function from the basic cookbook recipe chip. Today, I'm going to be showing you this recipe manually. Well, what First, the fuck is the, the point? Look at the bread tin labeled bread tin. It's the saddest. It, it looks like pre-abandoned. Yeah. Like they, you know you're never going to use it. It's already in your attic. It's already over. You wasted and it. two teaspoons of dried yeast. Oh, you can use 20 dried. grams of fresh yeast if you prefer. <laughs> when you're farming yeast. What? Now in we your need to yeast activate that yeast. So we're going to heat it. You may wonder about my minutes. empty life. Let's turn the one So she knows all the degrees. rules, and that's why... She, What's 37 there? What am I fucking watching or doing? Celsius. You can grease your bread tin. Oh, by the way, that one knob works because on the touch screen you select what it's controlling. That isn't shit. It's a fantastic baker's quality tin and it comes with a slide on lid. Don't get excited about the fucking tin. Can fucking include it? Can I make a tin with it? (laughs) Set it on the bread clock. You know, because this replaced all my items, my kitchen is incredibly lonely. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost town. Salt. We're going to combine that. Already by the presence the of the award-winning bread tin, we know that there's going to be a, a kind of pour it in the tin moment. moment. I killed Hold myself that, ten minutes ago. Did those handles just move on their own? They did, right? Yeah. yeah. Hours later. Okay. 
Oh yeah, we just got a fucking I'm crossfade <laughs> to later. <laughs> That's how fucking easy it is. You're gonna need an editor. What is that item? What is that? Alright, she has to oil her thermo mat. Which is different than a counter space how? it takes oil, man. Uh, Can't oil a counter. She put a yoga mat for the food down on the counter, and then she oiled it, and then she dumped okay. the dough from all the. And now, really, it's about her and her choices. Right now, now she's doing the yeah. owner. It's, it's a blender. It's a blender. It's only blend. That's really it for the machine. It's yeah, a, that was the machine. Dough. Just looks on dough making. It didn't do was. shit. No. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, at least it was only fifteen hundred. <laughs> I'm happy because I know this is a lie. <laughs> That's all I need to It's the, so clearly a lie. It didn't even make anything. She barely even, I mean, it didn't even require any. Behold yeah. this thing. When you travel to a different place in America, the television is still there for you. Mm-hmm. Even radio, it's not quite... No, yeah. Like, they're a nationally syndicated radio broadcast, and, like, War of the Worlds was a big national media event or whatever. But radio programs are so much cheaper to make. It's way easier to have local versions or whatever. Television's different. So, in a way, you start to be nowhere and everywhere. What's interesting about television is it it dazzles with a kind of diversity. Like, everything's important, but just for a minute. Yeah. This sense of, like, movement that that I really do think raises the trivial and lowers the powerful, that there's something about the way the mechanics of television's... um, the way it interacts with the audience, that if it has a homogenizing effect, it feels like we're to blame as much as the sort of the tool of television. There's a part early on where he says, like, it used to be that, like, the story of a person's life was cultivating your preferences or whatever, that as you became an adult, you just keep on cultivating. action and choices. Yeah, yeah, like, you keep getting better at, at the things you prefer. Like, a bomb goes off in taste, cultivation, and making because of this thing. Yeah, right? If it's going to affect our preference cultivation, then that's a way in which favoring the TV can really change everything. There's a, a flattening to Trow about how taste, uh, which was formerly like an ascent out of like baseness and up to something meaningful and capstone feeling about life to just being another thing that you have to keep track of demographically. Mm-hmm. And further that being having taste treated that way through television makes right. people feel it. And so to people uh, exposed to television the way that all of us have been, that no longer feels like a necessary upwards trajectory to the sharpening of our tastes. It's just we're wandering through a landscape, and I like this, and now I like that. Because we got bewitched by this thing that told us, or that didn't markedly didn't tell us that there was a kind of ascent we should be making. We're totally lost. We don't have a sense of how to live life. Uh, trivial like choices have gained importance and they seem harder and big choices seem basically impossible. The People Magazine guy talks to you about like a kind of calculus where he's just like, okay, we were making a judgment about what to put on the cover and we knew that there was like this thing that had the pop- the populace's attention, uh, kind of celebrity divorce. We didn't think there was that much merit in it, but we knew that the people were looking at it so we decided to not put the meritorious thing on the cover but rather this thing that people had eyes on. That's right. And that calculus is so ingrained into everything. Like we don't ask questions about why intensely popular things are being covered all the time 
but we used to, it seems like. That's the aesthetics of the hit, right? It's yep. like, you listen to this, it's number one on the charts. Right. Yeah. It's that sense. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. It's He brings up the family feud moment. No authority. The important moment in the history of television was the moment when a man named Richard Dawson the host of a program called Family Feud asked contestants to guess what a poll of a hundred people had guessed would be the height of the average American woman. Guess what they've guessed. Guess what they've guessed the average is. You said, our survey said. It's almost like a kind of torture that you're asking an individual, presumably unique human American, to estimate in their estimation what the perfectly median American would think about something, right? Or the, the, what they would think about the perfectly median. Yeah, 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 exactly. That question of what is everyone else thinking, the way in which you stop interacting with people, everyone's sort of fake smiling, fake fake yeah, sort of doing business and then you want to figure out what's really going on with people and you watch the fakest thing in the world that is designed to show you a sort of life you can't have of adventures and perfect products or whatever and dissatisfies you and that's your best intelligence about what the other people are really up to and then there's this you never figure out sort of what's going on and how you're supposed to live. There's something about being human that's allergic to this process that is corroded and made sick by it and so we, as a country, began to act out about it. There's like been a sense that something is going wrong, but there's no way to articulate it because you're not really talking to anyone. You're trying to understand other people through the lens of television, which is uh, you know, like fucking for virginity or something. What is so defeating is this everlasting good-spiritedness, the application of enthusiasm against loneliness, the expression of the force that seeks to go with the grain, actually to become the grain, is everlastingly a smile. But the smile is a lie, and it makes people glum. And the glumness then flows against the grain, being confident of its bit of truth, that there is a lie in the smile. In our time, nearly all art has been made from glumness and has had very little power because it feeds on this tiny bit of truth that there is a lie in the smile. It's so little to feed on, that little bit of truth. Feed on it only and you go mad. Someone should narrate what's going on to the best of their ability. All right, high so school. high school, she drops her books, hot guy, picks them up, flips them some gum. Oh. Eats her gum. Don't worry about that breath. Now they're in a car. Back they're thinking kiss. about kissing. Oh, they do kiss. Yep, but there was still there's some gum being exchanged. Mostly just a kiss. The guy, the girl's gonna get out. Bye. See you later. Right. Dropping her off. It looks like it's late eighties, maybe. Oh, now he's writing it on the Now they're at, in a picnic scenario. They're so kissing. They're kissing openly. Oh, holding the picnic's hands. over already. Not More gum. Really. Now it's winter time. Time it's is passing. Now. So is this a school year? Prom, Prom night. night. Wow. Okay. Guess where we are about to go. I think they're dating. Uh, He's still gonna, drawing on the gum wrappers. It's important. Oh, oh my they're God. fighting. They're fighting over bills. 
Who's Cindy? They live together now, by the way. They're older. Yeah, definitely older. They're in an airport. She's fucking fucking off forever. Just real quick pause. You think she's going on a trip or something? No, she's leaving him. It's not a trip. No, she's not leaving him. Took a job elsewhere. Oh, long, long distance relationship. Still writing on gum wrappers. They're Skyping. Now she's back. We're having sex. Oh, this is post postcoital gazing. They're old as shit. Hi, now. how are you? Horrifying. Let me no go into this random art gallery. They're right? She's, oh, uh, they broke up? They broke up. They didn't necessarily break up. But she's discovering his gum She habit. just walked in off the street to a random place where a lot of gum wrappers are framed. On, on which are drawn things. She must have been meeting him. Maybe that was the phone call we saw. Yeah. She's very moved. Here is a gum wrapper where the thing being depicted is a man proposing to a woman. Something that hasn't happened yet. Or that we haven't seen. No, it hasn't happened yet, but guess what, folks? It's about to. She, she turns around and he's performing the action. He's drawn on the gum. Yeah, that's right. Fulfilling the prophecy. Give extra, get extra. <laughs> so if you have, like, any romantic stationary needs... Gum. This is the gum for you. Give By which extra, I just mean give extra. you know, however you want to give extra. Some Hashtag. guys are starting successful art careers during their romance on uh, on gum wrappers. I kind of think that that he guy just is, rented the space. Yeah, it's a rent out. It's that's the proposal story that no one actually framed his fucking gum wrapper art. Wait, so he constructed an entire parallel life as a gum no. wrapper artist? No, no, no. Just that he for the proposal he rented a, st- a space on the street. And either, Simulating his yeah. status as an artist. That's right. Lying to her to convince Creating her. Creating a psycho space for her to dwell in for the proposal. To be catalyzed into marrying him. Exactly. All right, so manipulating her with I, gum wrappers. Yeah. Why do they I like mean, each other? They like each other because of just a kind of nervous inevitability <laughs> magic. Because they both <laughs> Everywhere have that she goes, there he is. I mean, they lock eyes in a kind of gum-sharing moment. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a mismatch here. That she's several digits more attractive than he is. We don't see him be employed. We do see her be employed. We see him, like, struggle and fight with boxes of shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't look great in this long-distance thing. He looks sad. I think that he... I think he should be. I think he should be an artist. I don't think it should be a rented the gallery. I think he should make it his his art, you know? The gum wrapper? I mean, yeah. That's given extra, really. Not fucking Skyping and waiting for your chance. I mean, the dark truth about this is that he is an artist and he's made his medium the gum wrappers that other people discard, but which he makes meaningful. He, this is him watching her sleep creepily yeah. where he conceives of the plan. Yeah. And then later, maybe the next day, he's saying, go to 539 exactly. Baker Street. Yeah. And she does and finds this unpopulated art Lost. gallery type space where there's no other art. It's just gum wrapper frames. And Christmas lights. Right. And we, it's 100% his space. Do you see what happens here? We get a flashback to earlier parts of the commercial. Yeah, they're trying to remind us for <laughs> fear we don't, we didn't catch or remember the earlier detail. But all I can think of, I, like for me, the lie at the heart of this fucking guy and why it's never going to work is, this is a guy who kept chewing fucking extra gum for what? At least a decade <laughs> so he could keep up his fucking art, like yeah. doodle habit. If he liked dentine more, uh, he like couldn't admit that to no, himself. No, 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 yeah. He couldn't stop chewing gum because he's got to do more doodles because this is like always his plan. This was his plan for any girl. There's like, you know what I mean? It's, she doesn't well, fucking matter. Well, and she really is any girl. I mean, yeah. she's she's not anybody. I mean, she is. 
You know what the utter madness here is besides sticking to the gum, drawing it out or whatever? It's that of, of all the things most like fleeting, you don't even eat it. You just put Spit it in out. your fucking mouth and, and yomp on it and, and fine. You want to yomp on it before you smooch in high school? That right, makes perfect right. sense. But this doesn't get us to engagement. This yeah. is not a love story. This is what fucking seventh graders put in their mouth before they fucking tongue each other to death. This is about insecurity and and fucking make out city. This is in fucking okay, come to the gallery for my marriage. Do you think proposal. that is even do you think that the ad is trying to convert the one into the other? Is that the explicit you know how point you, of this? You, know how you convert it? You give extra, baby. Hey, make out city people. We know you're using the gum, but guess what? It's not just make out city that you're occupying when you occupy that street. <laughs> yeah. I think they're trying to aim for that make out dollar. Yeah. By offering the ladies the full, yeah. the full story. <laughs> it's so fucking silly. Really what happens is you finish chewing the gum in two seconds and that's it. You spit it out. Yeah. Sometimes even into the wrapper. Yeah. But if you're reappropriating the wrappers as tiny pieces of paper, canvases, if you will, that you get as a bonus when you buy a package of gum, it's almost you can't even spit your gum in there. If he had done these little drawings on paper... She would have been like, I'm fucking out of here. Jeez, <laughs> well, I should have broken up with you at that fucking picnic. Yeah. Arthritis pain? You may think some prescription pain like ibuprofen and naproxen don't have any cardiovascular risks. But based on the available research, that's not clear. And if you look closer, the FDA now requires all these world. pain relievers, including Celebrex, to have the same cardiovascular warning. What the fuck are they talking about? They're, they're, they're quibbling about NSAID, including yeah, Celebrex, like the medical study may increase that the chance it, of heart attack or stroke, which can lead to death. This chance increases if you have heart disease or risk factors for it, such as high blood pressure or when NSAIDs are taken for long periods. All NSAIDs, including Celebrex, right, so he's painting also a increase colorless... the chance of serious skin reactions or stomach and intestine problems, <laughs> are we still such in as the bleeding exposition? and ulcers, which can occur no, there without is no warning ad and may proper. cause death. It just With keeps any of going these on medicines, telling you the patients also it'll taking do. aspirin and the elderly are at increased risk for stomach bleeding and ulcers. <laughs> While all NSAIDs have some of the same warnings, they all treat arthritis pain. There's like but two measures of music being repeated over yeah. Having yeah. options <laughs> is important. <laughs> An NSAID like Celebrex this may be one option. In fact, prescription Celebrex has never been taken off the market. Based Great. on the available Sounds data, good. the FDA good. stated that for certain patients, Celebrex's benefits <laughs> outweigh the risks. <laughs> for some so people, your it. doctor can make that decision. Holy shit, man. It's almost Let's like... Let's dive deeper. What? In clinical studies, a <laughs> low patients on Celebrex reported indigestion, abdominal pain, and nausea versus prescription ibuprofen. The world is made of warnings for Celebrex this drug that we are advertising by showing you the world made with the world and everything in it. It's all organic matter. All danger. All the fish, all the water, Celebrex all the air. Celebrex arthritis pain, stiffness, and inflammation. <laughs> Just one 200-milligram dose provides 24-hour relief. The dog is shaking off little droplets that say of Celebrex. Text. Do not take Celebrex if you're pregnant or have had allergic reactions to aspirin or sulfonamides. <laughs> and 
tell your doctor if you've had kidney or liver problems. <laughs> Shooting star. Kidney or liver problems. For problem. many with arthritis pain, not treating is not an option. Talk okay. to your doctor about Celebrex and Understand see what's right the for risks. you. That's why Understand we mean See the benefits. See the benefits. Damn. Incredible. Jesus The entire thing is just risk That ad was two risk. and a half minutes long. Just the thing, the thing and and every single word of it seemed to be legally mandated. Yes. It really felt like we jumped in in the middle or yeah. the end of an ad, <laughs> and then it was all that. Jesus God! Yeah, so what are the first thing? What's the first thing they say? It comes to relieving arthritis pain. When you may think some prescription NSAID pain relievers like ibuprofen and naproxen don't have any cardiovascular risks, <laughs> but based on the available research, that's not clear. <laughs> so yeah, this is really—it's really right. Nick said quibbling. They're like they're—they have like a kind of intra-academic dispute that they're perpetuating. <laughs> they go negative to start. Yeah. They're like you yeah. might think there's it's no not risk. Really clear. I mean, okay, it's so it, it's a two and a half minute like legally mandated quibble with the efficacy of generic drugs relative to their prescription version of the same. Right, that's right. I've never in my life heard another ad where said is a positive, this product has never been fully taken off the market. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> like, that's why you should trust us. We're still here. <laughs> a few flipper babies. Man, that th this this ad in Blueprint Universe crosses some kind of like threshold that I would argue human creativity is not up to the task of arriving at. Yeah. Only the like the concatenation of like legal regulation could push the human mind to a state where it came up with this. It shit. really is. The, it's, if if it were revealed at the end of watching this, it's just like this ad is made by IBM's Watson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. it would make more sense than yeah. if humans made it. It's like, oh yeah, the, it's totally blue. It's made out of text. It does seem like Watson made it. The American public couldn't be less qualified to tackle <laughs> the ad or the issues the ad is confronting. It's why prescriptions are invented. Both of these sections are called the context of no context. The work of television is to establish false contexts and to chronicle the unraveling of existing contexts finally to establish the context of no context and to chronicle it. Soon it will be achieved. The lie of television has been that there are contexts to which television will grant an access. Since lies last usually no more than one generation, television will reform around the idea that television itself is a context to which television will grant an access. And I kind of want to ask, you know, what does this mean exactly, and is it true? Has this been borne out as we read this 37 years after its composition? The definition of art is strongly influenced by what makes it into a museum, and the fact that museums exist, and the fact that all the paintings in museums have been chosen to be put there and to be arranged in a particular way. And that, that's exactly the same kind of curation that television does to everything. And so is all art devalued by virtue of its being in a museum? It's not, it's not devalued, but it's meaning... Raised down from on high? Its meaning is certainly affected by the fact that it's been assembled here by people who call it art. Th these things are it and other things not. Yeah, that, I suppose that's true. And, I would, and you could say the museum is a context that changes the art object. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And so we could just say that the framed and ratioed television screen is a context that changes whatever the context that we are supposedly visiting, but it seems like he's going much bigger than that. Yeah, I feel like- I mean, when, when he says the lie of television has been that there are contexts to which television will grant an access, the lie, that lie is we are 
just putting some stuff on TV. And here the context is, a, I don't know, a ship of ne'er-do-wells deserted on an island. And here the context is the, the White House in Washington, D.C. Yeah, right? And that's the lie. It's because there's a truth that must be something different than that. Say there were political figures talking to reporters or talking to citizens about what the government was up to before there was television. And newspapers were trying to tell you a story about what it was like for the reporter to have access to those conversations and find out about these things. And there's a way in which uh, radio is in much the same boat. It's still primarily information that requires interpretation and a sort of description or whatever. But just because you heard a thing doesn't mean you're like they. But television, which has everything radio has, it does sort of have a promise of access as if you yourself were there. Yeah. It changes the thing. And ultimately, it isn't really granting you access. The experience of being at a Senate hearing isn't like watching a Senate hearing on TV. But television is so powerful, you can sort of forget how one way it is. It can feel like it really matters that you were there watching. Uh, I don't know. The television is also the thing that stops its drama to tell you we will be right back and show you these ads right now, right? But it just seems like the artifice is all out there. We don't. We aren't explicitly confused that this is real life. It seems to me the possibilities are that somehow television is so powerful in the context it's presenting that you totally forget that reality, which we all well know. Or you don't forget that reality, and yet, yet. you deprioritize those that sort of reality-based television marginalia. But either way, it does not seem like those kinds of contexts and limitations yeah. are easily kept in view. The television is always going on. Like nowadays, we watch television asynchronously, or often, or increasingly so. Anyway, we like decide to watch an episode of a show. We make a button press decision. Does it change any of his analysis? No, I think it makes it stronger. Well, you're not like in this like time stream of like ongoing television that you, uh, it seems like could easily in a certain way get sucked into whether or not you keep in mind the artifice at stake or not. Yeah. I mean, it's to to me, it's the difference between, you know, getting your chicken pox at the country club versus getting it at the county pool. I mean, like it's the, the, the logic is there no matter what you're watching or how you're watching it, whether you think you're watching it on your own terms or by your own choice. Impressive, Linda. It seems age isn't slowing you down, but your immune system weakens as you get older, increasing the risk for me, the shingles virus. I've been lurking inside you since you had chicken pox. I could surface any time as a painful, blistering rash. Oh, One in three people God. get me in their lifetime, Linda. I didn't Will think it be you? Me? And that's why Linda got me, Zostavax, a single-shot vaccine. I'm working to boost Linda's immune system to help protect her against you, shingles. (laughs) Zostavax is a vaccine used to prevent shingles in adults 50 years of age and older. Zostavax does not protect everyone and cannot be used to treat shingles or the nerve pain that may follow it. Ouch, damn. You should not get Zostavax if you are allergic to gelatin or neomycin, have a weakened immune system, or take high doses of steroids, are pregnant, or plan to become pregnant. The most common side effects include redness, Pain, itching, swelling, hard lump, warmth, bruising at the injection site. It's important to talk to your doctor about what situations you may need to avoid, since Zostavax contains a weakened chickenpox virus. I mean, it is the shingles. Remember, one in three people gets shingles in their lifetime. Will it be you? (laughs) Talk to your doctor or pharmacist about me. Single shot Zostavax. You've got a shot. Single shot shingles virus. Single shingle. (laughs) Okay. Ready to mingle. 
<laughs> the funniest thing to me about this ad is that the convention whereby to Americans all foreign accents have to be performed in British yeah. accents exists to Americans inside their own body. Well, the two characters being voiced in this ad are the Shingles Virus and Zostavex. But the shingles virus goes goes basically once that Zostrovax uh, single shingle shot <laughs> arrives on the scene, that the yeah. queen the leaves the, world the palace. Changes. Right? That's right. We never hear from yeah. her again. And the um, oh no, the Linda's mute, been vaccinated. The mute human swimmer, Linda. Linda, uh, her bathing suit also changes to a colorful one. Mm. From the black and white universe, once Zostavax like takes the mic, yeah, Zostavax and the chickenpox virus, virus. And ch- which is the same fucking thing. Are she all, tells us that there is only one thing at play: the so medicine and the virus are identical. Same. This is very Hegelian. Oh, <laughs> that is. Yeah, that's yeah. good. By the end, we get an admission from Zostavax that he, <laughs> he is, really yeah. is. <laughs> he is the shingles. One in three people get it. And uh, by the way, uh, we're trying to get those numbers up actually and down. We want them up and down. Side effects include the very thing that we showed you as the shingles virus. It really is true. There's in the middle of this commercial, we cut to a different human yep. who has shingles, I guess, and is sh- pulling up his shirt yeah, slowly to show us. Turns into Requiem for a Dream for a second. <laughs> yeah. So we, we have like a... A fit young man of maybe 35 or 40. <laughs> I mean, we don't see his face. But he has a pretty bad case yeah, of shingles. Not great shingles. That's not fun rough. to look at on nope. like a daytime TV ad. And at one point, the fine print tells us, for no reason, shingles is also known as Zoster. <laughs> like, they're giving you a little clue as to why they named it what yeah, they right. did. If you were raised in a Greek household, you may know it is Zoster. <laughs> you may know the old hero, Zoster. <laughs> you, know you know how you walk around every day worried about how one in three people will get Zoster? <laughs> this ads for you, too. pay attention to this one. Also, you know what this ad does, like, I think subliminally, that's quite effective, is... They show you mysterious man with no head with his fucking absolutely revolting <laughs> shingles on his body. And then they show you a pool that multiple people it's swim gross. in. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you know what's in that pool probably? Zoster. Zoster. Fucking Zoster. That's Zoster's <laughs> favorite place. It's like whatever voice Zoster might speak with, you can bet it communicates very well in that fucking pool right off that guy's disgusting fucking belly. Oh, my God. And the camera is pretty languid and conventional for most <laughs> yeah. of the commercial until it jumps. Three people get shingles in their life. There's a crash shit. zoom on three yeah. people. Yeah. Exactly. And he just looks up like the spoke Zoster. <laughs> Did I just feel the icy breath of Zoster in my back? Uh, Zoster's looking at he's me. He's like, I'm not in this commercial. Get me the fuck out of here. Oh, man. What? What is he doing at the pool? The idea that television itself is a context to which television will grant an access, I, th- I feel like that's that's really prophecy coming in 1980, where really cable even isn't in full swing yet. But the, those choices you make on cable start to take on their own sort of sets of meanings. ESPN, sports start trying to fit into ESPN as opposed to ESPN just covering sports. That the actual channel is its own weird context. Politics ends up being more and more about television. All the Netflix shows I quit on, but I have this weird feeling that like everyone else is either watching or not watching. And in fact, when I go to parties, it's like, do you watch Homeland? Yes, no. The, the question of what you watch, 
the experience of watching is all tied to your sort of general television context. Turns out that it, the fact that you watch like Seinfeld on Thursday nights wasn't the important part about Seinfeld. Or even that you watch Seinfeld when everyone else was watching Seinfeld, which could seem like the important part. Right. That actually the fact that everyone else is engaged with Seinfeld, it remains important whether or not they beat you to it or you beat them yeah. to it. Then you get shows like, like Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> You guys in the media think that prime time is a church and Connie Chung is the priest. What Connie is saying today, and we have the interview the congressman did after Connie that you may not have seen. Yeah, I guess there's a context, but who is telling? There's some lady who's talking about some other lady, and it's like all nonfiction, but there really isn't any reality. There isn't any, like, life. There's nothing I would see walking out of my door anyway. Ford's marriage is over as his wife files for legal separation. We have the papers. And a body language expert looks at this footage and reveals what the congressman may have really meant during his interview. Plus, our pick for the best and worst dressed stars of the week. And yet we're compelled to sort of like track it as though it were, as though it had all the yeah. I mean, And just imagine where the line that that point defines is going. This is Entertainment Tonight, the most watched entertainment news program in the world. It's not a joke. People understand that certain things are healthy and certain other things are not healthy. Recently, they have come to understand that certain things are healthy and certain other things are decadent. To many people, a move to the country, the cultivation of a garden, the installation of a wood stove by a man who had lived in the city and was driven nearly mad there, would seem healthy. Similarly, to many people, a stage show during which a group of young people damaged themselves and then destroyed a car would seem not healthy and possibly decadent. But certainly it could be argued that the reverse was true, that the man who had moved to the country had abandoned any hope of having a share in the public culture of his time, while the young people who were damaging their flesh were involved in a legitimate attempt to form an aristocracy. Almost any act in the face of the sickness infecting all of us can be thought of as an attempt at health. All these cocksuckers who buy cabins in the middle of nowhere and say that this is somehow life as it ought to be led can be argued to be running away from and terminally hopeless in a way that they would never themselves admit. Yeah, that if I wanted to call your sort of performance at the club or whatever, garnering so much attention with a lot of drugs and alcohol, if I wanted to call that decadent, I would have to sort of meet with the idea that, well, that was a performance for others and therefore represented some kind of attempt yeah. to commune with others or something like that. Yeah. yeah. My reading of that is colored by this passage. All transactions involving authority involve an attempt to alleviate the sense of loneliness that is a condition of life. But when all partners in a transaction are passive, when the active principle consists only in describing the characteristics of the passive principle and playing on them, then no transaction has taken place. And the sense of isolation implicit in no transaction is increased. And everyone knows, deeply knows, that the attempted connection, which was coded in the syntax of success has failed and left a dangerous residue, like an obstruction in the throat, which will make the next attempt much more difficult to complete, or even to fake. 
It's as though you're using the logic of how your actions will be viewed as though they were on TV yes. to sort of decide how to be active in the world. You're talking in order to, based on how you think it will be heard. Right. So one superficial criticism that you might levy if you're not George Tro at such behavior is to say that that's transactional. But actually he comes back and says, it's not transactional no, at all. That's the problem. It's, yeah, there is no transaction. What's going to happen is every attempt subsequently to authentically do anything is going to be harder or your attempt to sort of play act at something will also be harder because you're going to need to have some knowledge of what an authentic thing is even in order to fake it. You don't get great fakers or great actors. You just get something else. Yeah. Yeah. Scary as shit. Well, and television is giving you something without asking for anything back. It's, are you bored? Are you whatever? Do you need something? We'll be, we'll be the hearth. We'll be your, your public square. We'll be your friend when you're alone. And you just sit there. You, know? you yeah. relax. You be in your chair. And there's a price for this sort of mixing up, I think, that you're learning to have some of your most powerful experiences and experiences that you like devote lots of time to be almost entirely passive, not real and not there. Yeah. The price is the uh, uh, increased isolation that is left like a dangerous residue or like an object lodged in our throats. Yeah. That's a big price. It's going to make it harder to breathe or act or do anything. Or speak. Yeah. And indeed, I mean, that I feel that. There's a weird moment where you start to realize that things that don't seem like choices are choices and take away your options. From the moment a puppy comes into the world, the soul of a wolf is also <laughs> born. And even as adults, they continue to share an evolutionary connection, With one that's best reflected in their love for meat. <laughs> that's why they do wilderness. It's made with more of the meat your dog desires. Holy <laughs> shit! It's got the shit plants crave. Because inside your dog lives the soul of a wolf. The soul of a motherfucking wolf. My favorite thing about this ad is that it posits the soul has evolved evolutionarily right, to crave meat. The, the connection between the evolutionary wolf soul inside your dog and your dog itself is best explored through your dog's love for meat. I love the, the fucking... Fuck? You see the food bag and then just a bunch of like store pot, grocery store style chickens. Just like little fucking... Chickens and turkeys, a couple yeah, salmon, a salmon are around, and it's just like, it's got more of the delicious meat. Your little fucking wolf soul <laughs> fucking okay, wait, vehicle. I, that, so the, just to rehearse the, um, the Darwin behind this, let me just hear this opening again. And even as adults, they continue to share an evolutionary connection, one that's best reflected in their love for meat. <laughs> even as adults, they continue to share an evolutionary connection, comma, one that is best reflected through their love for meat. Hold on. There's, a me there's some metaphysical gonna, nonsense. We, we got to do it. Hold on. Yeah. Hold, yeah. This is the same product. Two different ads for the same thing. Okay. Here's the uh, Mark II. He's a dog in every sense, <laughs> every yet in his soul. He's a wolf. Inside every dog lives a spiritual connection to his ancestors in the wild. Where did and evolution nothing go? connects them more than a desire for meat. So we created Blue Wilderness. It's made with more of the meat your dog loves. <laughs> Feed the wolf that lives inside your dog. Feed the wolf! <laughs> <laughs> 
You're, this is your dog that you live with, and they're telling you about that dog. Feed the wolf. This is the weirdest looking fucking dog, too. The evolutionary connection between betwixt your dog and a wolf mm-hmm. is altered to a spiritual connection. They got a little second guessy on their evolution. I in- mean, it. I would argue that the one you just showed us where the spiritual connection lives inside the dog, that one is marketed to Christian households. And the one that specifically recommends evolution as the hermeneutic is marketed in the Northeast. And yet do they both say soul? Because it's the evolution one that says soul. The evolution one, that it doesn't, they say also born, by the way, right? So two things are born. It's actually a second thing. (laughs) So it's a connection to like a kind of ghost companion, like in Mario Kart or something. Like a little like wolf like a wolf a dog is right that attends your I mean, dog it's a in, in an evangelical household, the ears will be fucking a prick for theological implications of dog soul. But I, my household is a prick as well. The second ad is tighter, where it's because the spiritual connection is harder to disprove than the evolutionary right. connection between, the, you know, love of delicious meats notwithstanding, <laughs> the fucking ghost wolf that also is born with my dog. The science behind these ads suggests that if you find two seemingly dissimilar things that both love meat equally yeah. there might be a, a either spiritual or evolutionary connection between the two now what if, not not both crucially it doesn't seem both now what if you did the same ad and and just and you just for a little flourish with with every time you said the word meat you just threw in and blood <laughs> <laughs> that would be right right because the, the wolf craves delicious meat and hot blood soul. He's soul. a wolf. <laughs> He's now, a, I mean, I'm oh, sorry, hold on. He is a wolf. He's a wolf. <laughs> That's the claim. Who are you going to feed, Eric? You got to <laughs> feed the wolf that he is. Does the other one get a little, is the other one a little softer? The other one has the attendant ghost wolf. The other Your one makes no sense. <laughs> the other one is just wrong. He's a dog in every sense, it, yeah. yet in his soul, he's a wolf. So not in that, not that one sense. Not that one sense. Inside every dog lives a spiritual connection to his ancestors in the wild. Connection lives. And nothing connects them more than a desire for meat and blood. So we created Blue Wilderness. It's made with more of the meat, meat your blood. dog loves. <laughs> more of the meat and Feed blood your dog loves. lives inside your dog. Blood. Meat rich blue wilderness. His ancestors That's actually fed on blood. It's breaking and meat. the news in that last bit because first they've said a connection lives inside your dog, and yeah. then they say, "Guess what? Feed the wolf inside your dog." You got two things in there. Also, wool. The wolves exist now. You might yeah. the dog's ancestors aren't aren't quite. Right. The, they share an answer. They aren't literally. No, I think the wolves in the wild are, according to these ads, your dog's ancestors. And then they show us a dog that makes that very hard to believe. <laughs> There's a dog that's like, mm, I exist to be in sitcoms. <laughs> no, you don't. You crave blood and meat. We've got to feed the wolf in you. And this isn't a commercial for go feed your dog meat. It's a commercial for dog food. slot machine is interesting, for example, and a con man spinning a story. These things create a context. It's like home, but just for a moment. Little windows. The possibilities are cherries, bells, other things, but no things other than the ones that are there. It is comfortable, but the comfort goes away quickly. A man approaches on the street, and then a woman. They are attentive. They have a story. Attentiveness is a comfort. The context of a story is seductive. Even being conned, there's a comfort in knowing the story that you are a, a character in. Yeah, right? right. Even if even that you're taken advantage of doesn't sort of negate the fact that the story makes it a little bit comfortable. 
Yeah. That happens to us all the time watching yes. television and elsewise. Unlike scenarios where maybe we are discomfited because we don't know what story we're in. Even if we know the story where we're the dupe, yeah. it's a little comforting. No one now minds a con man, but no one likes a con man who doesn't know what we think we want. Jesus. The relationship that television sets up is one in which being alone is turned into something painful and like nihilistic feeling like that that seems like another big result that he's interested in um that also explains why a person would prefer the company and the deception of a con man to simply being yeah. on their own well it's uh, company yeah, exactly yeah the message of many things in america is <laughs> like this or die it is a strain suddenly the modes of death begin to be attractive and like that, that's a guy talking about self-destruction in a way that makes it seem pre-programmed into American society and not the result of any particular weakness indigenous to you as a person or your family or your susceptibility to alcohol or drugs or loaded handguns or anything like that. Self-destruction may be a kind of aesthetic choice for people who don't feel like they belong or can find a place in American society where the modes of destruction become more attractive than the prospect of right. liking it or right, dying. Right. Like, this could be about Facebook, the, this comment. Right. Exactly. You know? I don't know if it still says this, but when the, the like feature was debuted on Facebook and you were looking at an item that no one had yet liked, the default text underneath was... Be the first of your friends to like this, which always felt like a very fucking gutsy challenge <laughs> that Facebook was issuing because already you're faced with that like this or die challenge. You just don't know which way to go yet. Yeah. If, if it said all of your friends like this, then it's really easy to be like, yeah, so do I. Or if it says none of your friends like this and they've all evaluated it, then it's also easy to know to refrain. Mm -hmm. But when they phrase it like that, be the first, be the first of your friends to like this, see what happens. What you can't do is ignore it, right? Like you can't, there's a way in which if you say like, I'm not going to die and I don't like this. And they're just Impossible. like, perfect. That you still bought the ticket to Avatar. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to react to this thing. That's right. You don't get, there's no option where you get to go about doing serious things. You'll, this, you made a, fucking $50 billion or whatever the fuck, you're going to have an opinion and not refusing to have an opinion is just an obnoxious opinion, you that's know, right. about it. And about everyone else. That's, yes. that's yeah. why it's so threatening, right? Right. Yeah. Everyone hates you for that. Right. That's the real reason Avatar is a terrible movie. Even being alienated together feels like there's a way, one can imagine a kind of prison you'd fight to get in, <laughs> you know, that the feeling of being shut out of the prison would be so terrifyingly lonely if you didn't have enough experience doing other meaningful things that like, and maybe this happens in like Scientology or whatever, but there could be terrible things that are, everyone is going through. You'd want a part of mm -hmm. in some way. That's a story. Sometimes you'd I want to be that. conned to be the victim because God damn it, that is a story. So one or two of the babies began to experience a problem. Loneliness rose to the surface. It was a problem. No exit for the babies. Dead end for the babies. It was a problem and new. I'm just a Hoosier. No, no one cares. I am youth. Better. I'm a battered child. Very good. Once that logic is true and that hierarchy exists, then yeah, you could start to sort of be like, I kind of want to be battered. I don't know why exactly. Yeah. I really like the part where he says, much advertising now lets the children in on the joke. And many American babies are coming to loathe the joke. <laughs> that just sort of floats around for me. It's like, 
I don't know. You know those weird Burger King ads with the creepy guy with like the- The king? The yeah, yeah, the king. king, that guy or whatever. I just like look at that guy, that fucking fake king, whatever. I was like, you're a fucking school shooter of a character. You are a weird alienation wandering around and I don't think people should know about you. You should go away. You should be banished. There's this way in which it's so snide, it's like so hip that I'm like, it's a step away from just pure fucking evil. Nobody feels that. Hey, you know how like you can't trust everything. Everything's bullshit. That Brett Easton Ellis yeah. like inside of like everything's bullshit. Especially me saying this to you right now. <laughs> you like get yeah. fucked by the king. I don't know. It's so ready for the hyper sophisticated fucking tween who's like unhappy already, trying to imagine adulthood that they rightly like doubt will ever right. arrive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the joke that thinks it's a joke and isn't landing sort of becomes the joke that we love. This yeah. is a syllogism. <laughs> Tro seems to be exactly right. Television has a logic internal to it, and that in general, in general terms, its course can be predicted and that it's going somewhere. It's tending to a kind of point where it swallows itself and all of us with it, and that you can talk about things like the Burger King King being a very pure example of where we're headed. And the same way you can talk about Trump being an excellent example of where we're headed. It makes sense to talk about the history of America as defined and pushed forward by television as tending to something in a way that, I don't know, like historical materialism never quite gets to. And th that's frightening to me because I don't want to be the person who thinks that the unfolding of human events is in any way deterministic. But do you think like television, like isn't this, isn't it in us in some way? It's a sort of unfolding of a reality that's already there. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I can get the chicken pox or I can get disaster in me. And I'm now a guy who has disaster in him and I can get shingles later on. One out of every three. Yeah, one out of every three. Uh, in no way do I conceive of disaster becoming me, right? Of me becoming just disaster, walking around doing zoster things because I'm a zoster now. I think of it as infecting me, not as me being like the encumbrance on its lifestyle. Yeah, that you, there was a you before yeah, the exactly. zoster right. got in you, Yeah, right? But these are the collapses that he's trying to assert, right? Isn't there an us prior to that, conceptually prior to that? That's what he's trying to say is, is dissipating. Yeah. Generation to generation, right? Yes. His point is the logic is going to take over to the point where it's this kind of context of no context. And that's the scariest part, right. right? Is that idea of it doesn't even end up being about television. It ends up being a kind of internalized, yeah. self-perpetuating and evolving logic that undercuts more authentic things at every turn. It's not a journey. Every journey ends, but we go on. We go on. We go on. Every journey ends, we go on. By fate, we go on. Plans disappear. Every journey ends, we go on. We go on. We turn with it, we go on. With luck, we go on. With luck, there you are. We turn on. with it, you are. We go on, there you are. We turn with it, you are. With luck. For the last meeting of consuming narratives, to test his students' mastery of the critical perspectives to which he'd introduced them, Chip was showing a video of a six-part ad campaign called You Go, Girl. The plot was this. 
four women in a small office, dished together and banter together and by and by struggled together with Chelsea's stunning announcement at the end of episode two that for nearly a year she's had a lump in her breast that she's too scared to see a doctor about. By the middle of episode five, however, and this was the campaign's revolutionary inspiration, it's clear that Chelsea will not survive her breast cancer. The slick production values of a campaign like You Go, Girl could seduce first-year students before they'd acquired the critical tools of resistance and analysis. Chip was curious and somewhat afraid to see how far his students had progressed. A petite young woman named Hilton offered that it was brave and really interesting that Chelsea had died of cancer instead of surviving like you might have expected in a commercial. Chip waited for someone to observe that it was precisely this self-consciously revolutionary plot twist that had generated publicity for the ad. Finally, with a tight smile, he said, How brave is it to engineer a surefire publicity coup for your ad campaign? Again, Chip waited for someone, anyone, to take his side of the argument. No one did. Bottom line, he said, we like this campaign. We think these ads are good for the culture and good for the country, yes? Melissa raised her head from her desk. Yes, she said. These ads are good for the culture and good for the country. It's celebrating women in the workplace, Melissa said. It's raising money for cancer research. It's encouraging us to do our self-examinations and get the help we need. This whole class... She said, it's just bullshit every week. It's one critic after another wringing their hands about the state of criticism. Nobody can ever quite say what's wrong exactly, but they all know it's evil. They all know corporate is a dirty word. And if somebody's having fun or getting rich, disgusting, evil. And it's always the death of this and the death of that. And people who think they're free aren't really free. And people who think they're happy aren't really happy. And it's impossible to radically critique society anymore. Although, what's so radically wrong with society that we need such a radical critique? Nobody can say exactly. It is so typical and perfect that you hate those ads, she said to Chip as throughout Roth Hall, bells finally rang. Okay, Chip said. On that note, you've now satisfied your cultural studies core requirement. Have a great summer. Turn up on the weekend Turn up on the weekend